0: sasa ya channel africa ikitangaza kutoka johannesburg afrika kusini
1: Africa Digest.
2: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective. I'm broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, in studio with Onelin Zuma, and Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Zimbabwe's Election Resource Center launches an election reform barometer to improve the quality of the polls. A bill granting special status to Cameroon's two crisis-hit anglophone regions is passed by an in is passed in an attempt to ease two years of violence. And analysts say ongoing attacks by a terrorist organization with possible links to ISIS in Cabo Delgado could spill into South Africa. We'll also be having your sporting as well as your economics news a little bit later on in the hour. But right now, let's cross on over to the news desk. Here's Anna Cincy with your latest news bulletin.
3: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
4: Thank you, Samara. Algeria has sworn in its new president, Abdelmajid Talboon, a week after an election that was rejected by a mass protest movement. The election was said to be a parade designed to keep the old ruling elite in power. Boone, former Prime Minister who won 58% of the vote and an official turnout of 40%, has offered a dialogue with the protest movements in an effort to end the 10 months of mass protests. Ongoing attacks by a terrorist organization with possible links to ISIS in Cabo de Galbra, the northernmost province of Mozambique, has left behind a trail of destruction with no end in sight. This year, more than 600 people were reportedly killed, while this month has seen 17 attacks from unknown terrorist groups, the most recent occurring on Tuesday. It is alleged the Islamic State ISIS group has claimed responsibility for 26 of these attacks. Sudanese people are celebrating the first anniversary of the start of the uprising that toppled long-time ruler Omar Bashir. Mashak is, uh, marches, rather, gathered in different parts of the capital Khartoum, in the city of Adbara, where protests began against direct economic conditions on December 19 last year. A Sudanese court on Saturday convicted Bashir on corruption charges and sentenced him to two years of detention in a reform facility. First ruling against the former president, Sudan is now run by transitional authorities under a three-year power-sharing deal reached in August between the then-ruling Military Council and opposition and protest groups. Sudan is now run by transitional authorities under a three-year power-sharing deal. Hundreds of people wearing face masks have protested outside the Sydney residence of Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. They are demanding that he returns from holiday abroad to lead the battle against dozens of bushfires that have blanketed Sydney in choking smoke. Record temperatures have fueled the unprecedented fires leading to a state of emergency in New South Wales. Kazan Brown lives in Waragaba, one of the communities, under the threat.
5: We woke up this morning and it was, you know, we were blanketed in smoke. You could smell the bush burning um, and we we're all treading, walking around on eggshells again. It's, it's horrible here at the moment. It's hot, it's humid, it's smoky, it's, there's ash falling from the sky, it's hard to breathe. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really bad at the moment.
4: Lastly, Queen Elizabeth has been setting out the British government legislation plan at the state opening of Parliament, saying that the main focus will be on Britain leaving the European Union next month. It follows the victory of Prime Minister Boris Johnson's Conservative Party in elections last week. The
6: BBC's Naomi Grimley reports. Addressing both Houses of Parliament, the Queen said her government's priority was to take the UK out of the EU on January the 31st and it would also embark on an ambitious programme of domestic reform that delivers on the people's priorities. She also said the integrity and prosperity of the UK is of the utmost importance. But Mr Johnson is now facing fresh calls from a resurgent Scottish National Party for a second vote on Scottish independence.
4: Channel African News. I'm Onelene
3: S.A.B.C. News. Independent and impartial. From an African
2: perspective. (laughs) Zimbabwe's Election Resource Center, an NGO whose mandate is to carry an oversight and advocacy role during the elections, has launched an election reform barometer. The barometer is a tool which is meant to cover the 2019-2024 to election cycle in a bid to improve the quality of polls in the country, while Zimbabwe is a cut above the rest in SADC, maybe second to South Africa. Its electoral processes are vague and lack accountability. ERC lamented. More from our correspondent based in Harare, Zimbabwe, Simon Muchemwa.
7: Ahead of the 2023 polls in Zimbabwe, an NGO called Election Resource Center on Thursday in the capital launched an election reform barometer aimed at improving electoral processes in the country. The barometer comes on the backdrop of the 2018 polls that were conducted after a 2017 coup and power transition. For the first time in Zimbabwe, government invited the international observers with no restrictions signaling a departure from the hardline stance against the international scrutiny. However, Zimbabwe encountered numerous challenges that discredited the election results, leading to the launch of the barometer by the ERC. Some of the election challenges faced did not require any money to be implemented, but just the political will, access to the voters' role, accountability regarding the printing of the ballot papers. Voter education and secrets of the vote were some of the sticky issues in 2018. Tawanda Chimini, director of the Election Resource Center, has this to say during the launch of the barometer. Why is there investment in the quantitative aspects of elections and limited
8: investment in the qualitative aspects? So elections must not be a ritual. And the example that you've given in terms of where resources are placed gives the suggestion that elections are a ritual that must happen. So as long as elections are a ritual, that must be happening. The qualitative aspects are ignored. But what we need to see from the ZEC strategic plan is a direct investment by the election commission to say, we're investing in this because it adds value around these qualitative aspects. So are we empowering a citizen to vote from an informed position? And what? how much money are we setting aside towards that? Meaning it's not about transporting ballot papers to that location. It's about ensuring that the citizen has received the necessary information for them to express themselves uh, freely in the ballot. So, so this has been one of the biggest missing uh, links. So you have huge millions of dollars being poured into the election commission on the eve of the election. But you have very limited resources being poured to the, in the election commission in between elections. So how do you invest
7: in the qualitative aspects, which require time? Chimini bemoaned the lack of transparency on the part of the Sadak bodies that monitor and observe elections in Zimbabwe as they failed to make public their reports. As such ERC-aged Zimbabwean journalists to explore ways of pressuring observer mission bodies to release their reports for the benefit of the public. Meanwhile, most of the reports on 2018 elections revealed serious challenges that were made. Waste by the fact that Zimbabwe was using a biometric voters' role for the first time. Chimini explained. But our insistence to Sadak is that the encouragement,
8: when you go through, and, and I would encourage the media <coughs> to do this, when you go through the actual reports from these observer missions, at times the media just wants to capture whether Sadak said it was an okay election or it was not. What has happened is that a lot of observer missions have actually departed from saying whether an election was free or fair. So it means that the media has got to invest in scrutinizing those original, um, the preliminary statements from the observer missions. But more importantly, the media has got to say, can we get the final reports? So you know that uh, the final reports that are prepared. And in these final reports, there are details around where issues of concern are, around where the election has been accepted. These reports are not made public. We have tried to insist to SADAC to say, can these reports be shared publicly? Their, uh, their argument has been to say is that they are shared with the Minister of Foreign Affairs and with the Election Commission. We have followed up with the Minister of Foreign Affairs to say, can you make them public? So that we know what has been said about our election. Again, we have not had joy there. But
7: I think a good starting point before we even give our feedback to SADAC... The barometer touched on a number of challenges that were highlighted by the opposition, leading to a disputed election result. It only took the ruling by the Constitutional Court to settle the matter, although that was after the death of close to 10 citizens during the election protest on the 1st of August. Chimini added, Broadly speaking, there have been five sticking issues pertaining to our elections
8: this is from our own assessment if you read our report on the 2018 harmonized elections we highlighted some of these five issues number one the question of the independence of the election commission trying to argue that more work needs to be done to strengthen the independence of the referee of our elections so that an impression is created among stakeholders that indeed those that are watching the elections those that are administering elections are not under the influence of anyone, as is prescribed in the Constitution. So the question of the independence of the Election Commission has been one sticking point. Uh, The second issue that we have felt was a sticking issue relates to traditional leaders and their role in elections. You would appreciate, and this has been said, but I guess some people will say, but can we be uh, uh, so sure that traditional leaders do command a significant proportion of our population? There's no doubt that they do over 70% of the voting population is actually in rural areas. And when you consider that the role of traditional leaders in influencing how people vote is a significant issue that has been a sticking point, raised in almost all the last three election reports um, uh, were drawn out of Zimbabwe, uh, 2005, 2008, uh, uh, getting into 2018 and 2018. So in all those elections, the issue of traditional leaders has been raised.
7: In Arare Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Samu Mchemoa.
2: Moving on to Mozambique, where analysts say ongoing attacks by a terrorist organization with possible links to ISIS in Cabo Delgado, the northmost province of Mozambique, have left behind a trail of destruction with no end in sight, which could be uh, having an impact on South Africa if left unchecked. Cabo Delgado is made up of mostly sleepy small villages populated by subsistence subsistence farmers who also fish fish. Uh, It's coastline. Now, however, those villages are mostly deserted. This year, more than 600 people were reportedly killed, while this month has seen 17 attacks from the unknown terrorist group, the Associate of Islamic Theology on Counterterrorism.
5: I think one has to be very clear and specific here. We are looking at approximately 7 to 10 cells causing mayhem. There is no evidence of an overarching extremist ideology in all of these cells. Uh, the motive behind some of these cells remains speculative, but the primary concern now is that the Islamic State has claimed or laid claim to 22 attacks, even released a photo report. So clearly, it has drawn its attention and we cannot ignore it. Mm.
9: And what could be the group's interest with uh, Cabo Delgado?
5: Uh, The interest primarily, if one looks at what they talk about, the oil curse and the economic development of prospects and opportunities, Mm -hmm. which sadly will evade most of the local population due to low skills levels, I think is causing a lot of frustration. There's also the whole matter of organized crime networks running through that area with initial information indicating that some of these networks even paid money to secure travel for their goods crossing the other border, and then you are sitting also with the generation gap, the young generation, this is the older generation, in terms of expectations and what they are expecting from government, and then a historical context of social economic neglect by the most weakened government that is now caught up. With
9: it. Mm-hmm. And on that note of the Mozambican uh, government, Jasmine, does this mean that the government does not necessarily have the capacity, manpower, skills or even equipment to deal with this problem
5: at this time? The problem for the Mozambican government is as follows. One, they are sitting with a defense force. We are looking at approximately six to 800 well-trained uh, soldiers all deployed around the LNG sector. The rest are being deployed more up north to the Tanzanian border. These soldiers do not speak the local dialect. They do not understand the environment. They are themselves living in fear because they are not used to this type of insurgency. They do not have the skills. They are not trained to be able to deal with this type of brutality. And now with the Islamic State stepping in, creating further concerns. No, they do not have the capacity. Mm. They do not have the skills to be able to deal with it.
10: I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land.
3: Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect, an explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: Malawi has finally ratified the 2014 International Labour Organization Protocol on Forced Labour, thereby committing to uh, to take necessary measures to prevent forced labour, protect victims and ensure access to justice by the victims. This means that Malawi has become the 42nd country worldwide to ratify the protocol. Since 2014, 11 African countries have ratified the instrument. This comes a month after the United States government banned Malawi's tobacco and all tobacco products from entering its markets due to alleged use of child labor. George Mahango reports from Blantyre.
0: The International Labor Organization, ILO, has since said Malawi has made significant efforts in recent years to combat trafficking in persons, including passage of the Trafficking in Persons Act in 2015, and the establishment of the National Coordination Committee against trafficking in persons. Malawi authorities said Lilongwe recognizes that ratification and domestication of the protocol are different things, adding that the country is committed to ensuring effective domestication of the protocol by developing a national policy and plan of action. Minister of Labor Martha Chanjo who ratified the protocol on behalf of the Malawi government, said Malawi will also take specific measures, including raising awareness among employers and vulnerable populations. Employers' Consultative association of Malawi ECAMA, Tobacco Control Commission and the International Labor Organization recently developed a tenancy labor bill for approval so as to end child labor. But as Charles Manyetela, a labor expert in Malawi, says, it is yet to see the light of the day.
7: The Tenancy Labor Bill was drafted some time back, but again, you have to look at the nature of the tenancy. It's coming back from the Tangata system. And our neighboring countries like Zambia, Zimbabwe, there's no tenancy. And again, when we look at the tenancy, it provides a loophole where children might be trafficked, let's say from one area to another. Uh, to work. the understanding is you cannot regret something which gives a loophole for violation of human rights. That's why the International Labour Organization did a survey on the state of the tenancy and made some recommendations and the recommendations were presented to the Minister of Youth Sports labor and manpower development.
0: Tobacco Association of Malawi has expressed delight over the stance by government saying it gives hope for tobacco growers especially the recent withhold raise order on the country's tobacco by the United States government. The ratification comes barely a month after the US Customs and Border Protection issued a withhold raise order on tobacco from Malawi allowing the country to detain or imported goods believed to have been produced with forced labor protocol. ILO Country Office for Zambia, Malawi, Mozambique said forced labor violates human rights and dignity and contributes to the perpetuation of poverty. A University of Malawi business scholar Mesa Piri has since cast doubt whether Malawi's economic woes would be solved soon if it insists on promoting tobacco.
6: Ah, uh, let me be open with you, it's high time here in Marawi, the government has to promote other crops that can bring in the much needed forex. Tobago, you know, is no longer a major forex center, as we used to say in the past. We used to say it brings 70% of the total foreign exchange earnings, but look now, growers are low, think of the anti-smoking lobby, the World Health Organization, who, do you think tobacco is still the future? The answer is no. Honestly, if the U.S. has banned its products, it's time to go back to the drawing board and think of other industries.
0: At a 2019 tobacco conference, it was said that Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, a collection of 17 global goals set in 2015 by the United Nations General Assembly, tell that child labor should be eliminated by 2025. According to the 2018 findings on the worst forms of child labor, Malawi made a moderate advancement in efforts to eliminate child labor. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Across
11: the globe, every second there's always a breaking story.
12: Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa.
6: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia.
11: Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned,
0: giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa Blantyre.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In
8: from an african perspective listen to channel africa in english kiswahili french silozi portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about africa
11: join us every day and know what is happening
8: around you channel africa
2: The number of men who smoke tobacco is on the decline for the first time in history, marking a shift in a global epidemic that has killed tens of millions of people over decades. This is according to a new report published today by the World Health Organization. The health body says the change in global smoking trends shows that government's efforts to control tobacco are working. For more on this issue, here's the director of WHO's Department for Health Promotion, Dr. Rudiger Krieg.
13: It's very significant to us because for the first time ever, we see that the number of uh, male tobacco users is declining. We saw um, a percentage decline of people uh, for some years, but uh, that was eaten up by population growth. So this time in 2018, it has plateaued, and in 2019, for the first time, it has decreased.
9: Now, what are some of the contributing factors, Doctor, to this downward trend?
13: Yeah, we believe that these are really the different policy measures that we uh, put in place or that member states put in place. It's uh, raising uh, taxes for tobacco. It's um, banning tobacco from public places. It's about informing people about the risks of tobacco, and it's about helping people to quit smoking. These measures together work.
9: Now, there are, of course, um, a number of of regions that have seen this decline, but uh, which regions have seen the most improvements? And uh, um, why is this the case?
13: So, number one, the African region um, has um, the lowest rates at the moment, and it will be very important to maintain the measures and to um, actually have policies in place in many of the African countries. The highest rates of tobacco use are in the Southeast Asian region, And there we see the trends deeply declining. So that's the region where we see the highest decreases.
9: Now, um, another finding, uh, Doctor, which is quite alarming is the fact that uh, 43 million children ages between 13 to 15 use tobacco globally. Now, this is quite alarming, especially for that um, young age group. What does this speak to then?
13: Yes, and that's where uh, everybody needs to be vigilant. Mm. The tobacco mm. industry targets our children, even if they say they wouldn't, but they do. Children 13 to 15 years of age, and that is something that we need to have really be vigilant and take uh, so resolute action. Uh, that cannot be allowed.
9: And um, WHO has also acknowledged that despite these gains, uh, progress in meeting the global target uh, to cut tobacco use by 2025 remains off track. So um, what has been put in place to ensure that there's a fast tracking of, of this
7: process?
13: We are working with countries now and especially also with uh, countries in the African region uh, Mm -hmm. to put in these measures, these policy measures I was just talking about. Um, In in Africa, uh, there's some very good progress in about eight countries, but there's also um, room for improvement, if I may say, because we see in many countries that, for instance, tax laws are not put in place. So taxes on tobacco need Mm -hmm. to be increased.
2: And that was Dr. Ryodika Kretsch, Director of the World Health Organization's Department of Health Promotion, on the line from Geneva in Switzerland, speaking to Zekona A teacher from Richards Bay in South Africa's Guazulu-Natal province has re- received two global awards for unorthodox yet effective teaching techniques. Kangalani Sabia's unconventional methods were captured in a video that went viral on social media and was highlighted by the SABC. His high was improved has improved its pass rate in maths and science from a dismal 0 to 23% since his arrival, as Nautlaka Magwaza reports.
7: Ahead of the 2023 polls in Zimbabwe, an NGO called Election Resource Center on...
6: Sibia, who hails from Newcastle, has recently won two international accolades, one in India for the best maths and science teacher and another in Dubai as the best teacher. He beat teachers from 79 countries for the Coverted Global Award. He is affectionately known by his learners as DJ Maths. Sibia's methods include singing and acting out shapes and angles, math sums. Learners from other schools also attend his maths and science boot camps so they can improve their marks. A grade 12 learner from John Ross Secondary School, Luyanda Roloti says thanks to Smiya's lessons, she has managed to secure a bursary for her tertiary studies next year. They helped me a lot since grade 10. They've helped me very much especially in maths
4: and physics because my maths marks and physics marks have improved by approximately two levels from grade 10. And I've done very well. It has helped me in applying for bursaries and applying for tertiary education because I never had hassles, they just accepted me. As teenagers in this day and age, we
6: are into music more and we're into television more, so it's easier to remember things when people sing it than when people just say it. A learner at Pumelele High, Siyabongam Tembu, says he now enjoys maths and science, thanks to Sibi's creative teaching methods.
9: Um, Mr. Sibiya have helped me very much. This way of teaching and the techniques and approaches that they they apply in medicine science uh, makes things more easier. The dance moves and all the things they do just for us to remember, it makes medicine and science more easier. Sibia's
6: non-profit organization has reached 25,000 learners since its inception four years ago. He says this year he is hoping to achieve a pass rate of over 60 percent at Pumelele High School.
8: Teaching them this way changes the stigma of saying mathematics and physics is a difficult subject because if you demonstrate it is easy for them when the questions come to the exam to say they recall all our songs, they recall all our demonstrations while we are in a class. As a result, they now uh, uh, for all of my kids that I interacted with, they now enjoy mathematics because of the approaches that I'm using. Because if, 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 if they sing it, then they enjoy it and that is what I know of which it made me to keep on pushing using this method then.
6: Sibia says his next project is to expand his tutorial camp classes and involve more learners from other schools. I'm Nuntagane Pomakwaza in Richards Bay.
2: International Finance Corporation, a member of the World Bank Group, announced a $41 dollars dollar investment in Business Partners Limited, one of Africa's leading business loan and equity providers, to strengthen women-owned businesses in South Africa and help create tens of thousands of jobs. The senior long-term loan is supported by the Women Entrepreneurs uh, Opportunity Facility, a first-of-its-kind global finance facility dedicated to expanding access to capital for women entrepreneurs. More from Mark Paper, Chief Operating Officer at Business Partners International.
14: If we look at it from a South African point of view, it's 600 million rand that is going to be uh, invested in business partners uh, to be deployed for women-owned businesses in broader South Africa. Uh, we've been working with the International Finance Corporation for some time now, for the, probably the last 15 years, and we've been working at effectively... Um, providing access to funding to SMEs in other parts of Africa. And for some time now, there's been a desire, I suppose, from, from all of us to look at further in uh, advancing what we do in South Africa um and through this partnership we've been able to raise the 600 million um which we are over the next 5 years going to be allocating to women-owned businesses in particular um and hopefully that will then have the impact the desired impact that we at business partners um wish to see and you know obviously that being um job creation uh, wealth creation and having impact on the economy and i think it's also that desire that we have is, is mirrored by IFC's desire and um, even further on uh, by Goldman Sachs in both of them supporting this facility.
6: And how will the loan or investment to business partners um, enable more women business owners in South Africa to access capital?
14: Okay. So, so I think if we look at uh, generally, I think the... the, the um, message out there at the moment is, and I think there's, there, there's more than adequate um, information to support it, is that the SME sector is the engine Engine room of most economies in South Africa. That is particularly evident. I think um, the the very notion of growing our economy, getting our economy to be to be operating at a better level than it currently is, will require a strong support for SMEs, and and that is a, a statement made by politicians, economists um, across the board. Um, what we are looking at is we've also uh, we've also taken into account the impact that. Um, that um, lack of or difficulty in accessing funding uh, for women-owned businesses in particular in South Africa can have on the economy. So recently some research was done by Gender and Women's Empowerment Unit of the Department of Trade and Industry in conjunction with IFC um, and Finmark where they found that, uh, that women's access to finance in South Africa um, that limited access inhibited their, the, the ability for them to establish their businesses, grow their businesses, and ultimately achieve sustainability and profit in the businesses so by providing greater access to funding uh, for, uh, for for women owned businesses and we, we regard women owned businesses as being shareholding of 50, uh, fifty plus one by providing that we are hoping to see more businesses being established, more businesses being able to grow and and reach their full potential. Um, that growth, in turn, we do expect will create the jobs um, that the country so much needs, uh, will create the wealth for the entrepreneurs themselves. And I think um, overall, that, that um, renewed impetus on SMEs and woman-owned SMEs in particular will have the impact on the economy that we're hoping.
6: Mm. and do you think that women owned businesses are an impotent engine of job creation in south Africa?
14: I think so i, I think I think undoubtedly I think, um, undoubtedly. Um, I think it goes without saying that SMEs in general are a, are a job creator um, for for the South African economy. I think it's also, and as I've already mentioned, some of the research um, that has been done suggests that, um, in, in particular, um, some of the ways that um, there's a slight deviation in the ways that women-owned businesses um, look at business. They they might be more um, strategic and tactically engaged in their businesses. Um, they are likely to incorporate community. Community and environment into their business plans. Um, they are more receptive, um, I suppose, than male-owned businesses in receiving technical assistance, support, and and mentorship. Uh, so, from those points of view, that helps a business. If if we are able to then cross the the the, the overcome the, the problem of access to funding, those other um, those other uh, aspects of women-owned businesses would possibly lead to a greater level of um, Success, a greater growth, a greater job creation. So undoubtedly, first and foremost, SMEs are undoubtedly the engine um, room for job creation. Um, evidence suggests that uh, women-owned businesses can stimulate that even more.
2: And that was Mark Paper, Chief Operating Officer at Business Partners International, on the line talking to Lebo Khang Mabange. All right, a little bit late, and we apologize for that, but let's cross on over to the news headlines. Here's Onelensenski.
3: SABC News, independent and impartial from an
6: African from
14: perspective.
4: Gabonese President Ali Bongo Odimba opened a Central African summit, marking a return to the international scene nearly 14 months.
10: S.A.B.C. News, independent and impartial. From an African
6: perspective. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs.
11: I came up with the way for the world not to bother. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many
5: people whose potential is still untapped.
6: At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Southern Africa, the African perspective.
2: 14 people were reportedly killed after Boko Haram jihadists attacked a fishing village in western Chad. Violence from the Boko Haram insurgency started in Nigeria a decade ago but has since spread to neighbouring countries, Chad, Niger and Cameroon. The attack comes after French President Emmanuel Macron recently postponed a key summit focusing on France's military operation in the Sahel region until the beginning of next year. For more on the attack, Channel Africa spoke to Hoinathy Rimaji, senior researcher for the Sahel and the Lake Chad Basin at the Institute for Security Studies.
3: The, the motives are the, the same. It's a matter for Boko Haram uh, to, to manifest more and more firmly uh, its presence on the Chadian part of the, the Lake Chad Basin. Uh, it's a matter of showing that they are present. And it's also a matter of um, you know attacking the communities, trying to diminish their ability to keep on carrying their daily activities so that uh, those communities at some point could just you know, pay allegiance to, uh, to pledge um, allegiance to Boko Haram and serve Boko Haram's um, objectives. So it's a matter of putting more and more pressure uh, on the communities uh, on one side, but also showing to the state that they are getting more and more tough on the Chinese part of the Lake Chad Basin.
11: Now, talking about the pressure, Rameji, we know that Boko Haram has uh, since split into two factions with the emergence of a branch allied to the Islamic State group in West Africa of or ISWAP. It seems ISWAP's recent attacks in Niger and its neighboring Lake Chad Basin countries show that the leadership changes within this faction have not degraded the group's operational capabilities.
3: You are very right because uh, even on the Chadian part, uh, the, the the faction that is uh, intervening on in Chad is the ISWAP uh, faction. And uh, at the beginning of the, the the split between the two groups, the split at some point uh, diminishes the group's ability uh, to, to, to carry out operations on the field. But actually, since 2018, we have seen a kind of um, uh, return back with more strength of uh, the ISWAP faction, in, uh, mainly in Chad and uh, in Niger. And it means that the, the, the alliance between uh, ISWAP and uh, Islamic State have been strengthening the group. But it also demonstrates that even locally, isop have been very resilient in being able to capture uh, economic, uh, economic activities and here mainly fishing, uh, agriculture and trade uh, on, the lake, Chad, uh, on the lake. And so they have been able to refund themselves, but they have also been very able taking a lot of uh, military equipment from the four armies of the four countries intervening uh, in that zone, mainly uh, on Nigeria. And so this is why actually they are showing more and more strength while the other faction, uh, the one of Shekau, is kind of uh, losing uh, strength.
11: The spread of uh, violence to Chad, Cameroon and Niger has also uh, prompted the formation of a regional military coalition uh, to fight the Jihadists. How effective has uh, this military coalition been in terms of curbing the insurgencies?
3: I mean, uh, since some years, um, the, there was uh, this coalition uh, called the MNGTF, so Multinational Joint Task Force, that is fighting Boko Haram. It seems that the, the, the presence of the, the, this coalition on the field, but also the presence of the, the, the armies of the four countries, seems to be not sufficient, I mean, to fight Boko Haram. And this explains also the fact that fighting terrorism and violent extremism uh, needs more than just military operations. Uh, it needs uh, more actions, you know, tackling uh, poverty problems, tackling governance problems, uh, tackling uh, the, the, the mistrust of the, 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 the people uh, toward the state. So there's a, it's a multi-component actions to be deployed on the field. So there is more... Uh, to be done beyond just military action.
11: The attack comes after French President Emmanuel Macron postponed a key summit focusing on France's military operation in the Sahel region until the beginning of next year, after rebel fighters killed at least 71 soldiers in Niger last week. Is it a mission impossible for France military operation in the Sahel, do you think? Uh,
3: I think that actually the, the reality and the fact on the field, uh, as showing that despite the French military presence on the field, uh, the security situation is kind of degrading uh, on a daily basis. But I think that there's actually a kind of uh, very strong debate within the the, the African or the Sahelian uh, civil society opinion about you know the, the presence of the French militaries and people are right uh, claiming the departure of the French uh, on some way because they don't really know uh, what is that I mean what this presence is bringing and uh, offering security to population. But what people don't know is that all the local armies in that uh, Sahelian part of Africa. Are they able, without French support, you know, to carry out security for the population? And so, uh, I think that is not a mission uh, on French uh, militaries; it's a mission on African countries' uh, defense organizations. And France will be just supporting. So, as far as those um, states won't be able by themselves, you know, to lead the fight against terrorism, I, I think that the situation will keep on degrading, uh, despite the, the presence of the, the, the French military.
2: And that's Hoinathy Remaji, senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, on the line from N'Djamena in Chad, talking to Kumbelo Mujalele. The medical chari- charity uh, Medicine Sans Frontières says a health emergency is unfolding as refugee camps uh, on the Aegean islands located between Greece and Turkey uh, see a spike in new arrivals from war-torn countries. In Lisbon, almost 18,000 people are crammed into a camp that was originally built for around 2,000 people. We heard in a previous radio piece about the impact the conditions are having of children's mental health. Now we focus on another group of very vulnerable people. Pregnant women and newborn babies are some of the most vulnerable people in the camp. Many end up spending months living in what MSF call an endemic cycle of human suffering. The BBC's global health correspondent, Tulip Mazumdar, sent this report from Moria camp uh, on the Greek island of Lisbos
1: spread out over mud mountains at the far end of Bangladesh's southeast is the world's largest refugee camp around a million Rohingya Muslims who fled persecution in neighboring Myanmar have been living here most of them arrived a little over two years ago more than half of them are children as far as i can see there are huts that are made of bamboo frames and tarpaulin sheets there's garbage strewn around but you only have to step inside one of the homes of what on the outside really looks like a bustling shanty town to hear about the real horror that many of the people living here have been through their pain still raw unhealed by time Rajuma Begum weeps as she tells me Myanmar's military threw her baby in a fire and shot her parents and siblings dead. She says she was gang-raped by four soldiers. As Myanmar's leaders prepare to defend the country against charges of genocide, Rajuma Begum says she wants justice. Aung San Suu Kyi is lying in front of the world that the military didn't do anything. If she takes me to my village, I can show her where and how my family was killed. I can prove everything, she says. One of her brothers managed to escape. Ramzan Ali's son and wife were killed in front of him.
14: It looks like I am alive, but inside I feel like I am dead. I am so angry. They want to eradicate the Rohingya and Islam from Myanmar. That is why they are killing us. The world is not doing enough to give us our rights.
1: Thousands of Rohingya Muslims were killed during an army crackdown in Buddhist-majority Myanmar in 2017. In Bangladesh, they found shelter. But it's not a life of freedom. Their movement is restricted. Phone services are cut off. In a country where poverty is widespread, patience is now running out. Bangladesh's government has made two attempts to try and facilitate the return of the Rohingyas to Myanmar. But each time they've gone to the camps to ask if anyone wanted to go back, the answer has been a resounding no because people are still simply too scared. But each day that the refugees continue to live in the camps, tensions between them and locals in the area are growing. Outside the camp, I'm on one of the main roads. There's a marketplace, also a local mosque here. The villagers tell me they feel angry and resentful towards the Rohingya. Nurul Azam says they're facing many problems because of the refugees.
2: And that was the BBC's Tulip Mazumda reporting from Maria Camp on the Greek island of Lesbos. But right now, let's get a quick update from Nosythia Zuma with regards to the economics news.
12: Thank you, Samara. Good evening. The South African government says it is so far satisfied with how the South African Broadcasting Corporation is spending the $146 million it transferred to the public broadcaster. In October this year, the government transferred part of the expected $223 million US dollar portion. Communications Minister Stella Daveni says they will meet with the SABC authorities early in the year next year to discuss the release of the remaining amount. She says they are monitoring how the SABC SABC is spending the money in order to give a government monthly reports.
6: We are confident that SABC will come back to us and saying we no longer require government funding. Because when we approved the turnaround strategy, it was a good plan that did not only give us insight to what is happening today, but to the kind of the future broadcaster that we must envisage for SABC, which is why, as government and parliament, we'll be doing everything to support where we are supposed to play our role.
12: South Africa's Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, the Hawks, have confirmed that former managers from troubled power utility, Eskom, have been arrested. Two former senior managers, two business directors and seven companies are appearing in the Johannesburg Regional Court on charges of alleged fraud, corruption and money laundering. They have been uh, arrested in Mpumalanga, Limpopo, Haudeng and the Haudeng province. Eskom says, however, this is not... Uh, aware of the arrests, an amount of 50.65 million US dollars is believed to be involved. NPA spokesperson Bulalo um, Magenge elaborates.
5: This is a joint project um, of the the Hawks and the investigating directorate as part of the state capture project. Rather. Um, so I, I do confirm that two senior, uh, um, well, they they're former now, but they're still um, being held responsible for the corruption that they that they were that they've been accused of. Charges relating to fraud, corruption, and money laundering. <laughs> The
12: Zimbabwe Electricity Supply Authority says it will soon call for new tenders for solar licenses after all individuals and companies that were awarded the rights 10 years ago failed to work on approved projects. The state-owned company hopes the new players to be engaged will be able to produce between 400 and 500 megawatts. The Zimbabwean health sector has been rocked by confusion following the launch of a Splinter Doctors Association a few days ago. Members of the new group have vowed to return to work and make sure their health services are restored in the country, although they are not yet registered. Zimbabwe has recently been rocked by a doctor's strike in protest against wages. Simon Muchemwa reports in Harare.
7: Confusion has rocked the Zimbabwean health sector following the launch of a new doctors' association a few days ago. Zimbabwean doctors have not been reporting for duty for more than 100 days now, citing incapacitation of their salaries have been swallowed by inflation. While it is argued that salaries may be increased thereby cushioning the junior doctors, the lack of equipment and medicines has worsened the situation.
12: For your financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 360.36 Nigerian Nara, 10.58 Bozona real, at 100 Kenyan shilling, six cents, and at 14.49 Zambian kwacha. In big currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.06 Brazilian real, 62.52 Russian ruble, 70.95 Indian rupee, 7 Chinese yuan, and at 14.35 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities gold is trading at $1,477 and platinum at $933 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is $66.15 a barrel.
2: No, it's time. Of your latest sport here's NetWatch Money.
15: Thank you, Samora from the sports desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with cricket news. Proteus all rounder Chris Morris has been snapped up for a staggering 1.4 million US dollars by the Royal Challengers Bangalore at today's auction for the 2020 Indian Premier League IPL. Morris entered the auction with a base price of 210,000 US dollars. A bidding war quickly escalated between Rajasthan Royals, Kings 11, Mumbai Indians, and Bangalore before the Royal Challengers got their men. Morris has previously played for the Daily Capitals, Royals and Chennai Super Kings in the IPL. Meanwhile, Proteus' speed star Dale Stain found no buyers, despite a superb MSL, nor did wicket-keeper batsman Henrik Lassen. David Miller was snapped up for the Royals for $105,000, while Colin Ingram, Andy Luguayo and Andrik Norge all went unsold. The players get around 75% of the auction price, effectively their salary for the season, while the rest goes to their national board. On to tennis news. Tennis star Novak Djokovic believes it is a positive thing that new talent is rising through the sport to challenge the established top orders of players. Djokovic, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer have all dominated tennis for more than a decade, but the likes of Stefanos Tsitsipas have a chance to show he can beat them at the Mubadala World Tennis Championship.
16: To have, to have new faces winning big tournaments and slams very soon for sure, is is positive thing for tennis, and it's inevitable for for tennis that that's going to happen, the change, and they're going to take over the the top spots of the world very soon from us. We are trying to um, extend that and, uh, and and prolong that that kind of change, and then taking over as much as we can. Um, but you know they're, they're getting stronger each season. They believe in themselves more, and they you can you can see that they're improving a lot uh, as the time goes by.
15: This year's event runs from the 19th to the 21st of December 2019, and Djokovic will aim to retain the title he won last year.
16: It's very crowded schedule. Uh, that's true, what you said, but you know it's an inaugural event from that is owned by players and tournaments in ATP and. Uh, It's an exciting format, it's going to be played in three different cities, group stages and then you're going to have the final eight in in Sydney, so I think uh, the ATP Cup should be a a great success considering Australia is a country that uh, really uh, nurtures, supports and values tennis.
15: In soccer news, after being held to a one-all draw against Mamelodi Sundowns two days ago, Bidvest vets continue with their festive fixtures when they host Cape Town City in the South African Apsa Premiership match at the Dobsonville Stadium tomorrow night. Vets head to move the game to Soweto due to their uneven home ground. Vets head coach Gavin Hunt explains. You know,
2: the problem's going to come, our squad is never as big. We've got 21 players. I've got 21 players. So, you know, it's a problem for me. So we, have to, we need to one or two, that's for sure. Another, you know, we don't play at home. This is our home game. <laughs> so it's
16: a problem for us. We're playing in Dobsonville because our field is, you know, a problem.
15: CT, which has been struggling this season, currently sits on the 13th position in the log with 13 points out of 14 games. Hunt says he will approach the match with respect for the opponents.
0: Well, it's always dangerous because we.
2: Pl- it's always dangerous because you, you play the team next, you know, um, and, and you know they're a good footballing side. They're a team that should win the league. I've believed the last few years, but
0: you
15: know. And finally, in athletics news. Russia has decided to contest its ban from the major sporting events over doping violations as President Vladimir Putin slammed its side-lining as unfair and insisted athletes should be able to compete under the national flag. Russia's Rusada Anti-Doping Agency made a decision not to agree with the four-year ban by the World Anti-Doping Agency's decision. The decision will have to be communicated to WADA before the end of the month, triggering the appeal process in the Lausanne-based Court of Arbitration for Sport. Wada, on December the 10th banned Russia for four years from major global events, including the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, over manipulated doping data. Putin appeared to indicate a lengthy legal battle loomed as he addressed a throng of journalists at his annual press conference. He reiterated that he believes Wada's decision to be not only ju- not only unjust, but also not corresponding with common sense or law. Saying Russia was being punished for the second time for the same alleged co- offense. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa for Channel Africa Sport. Amnedo and Eto Chamani.
1: This is Africa Digest.
2: And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Samora Magesi, producer Leb Muswewe, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. You can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or follow us on Twitter at channelafrica1. On Facebook you'll find us at Channel Africa or you can send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven Channel Africa from an African perspective. And now we play out with uh, Hugh Masekela. Enjoy.
10: Isabella is <muchas> Nene, we're gonna live for you. We're gonna live for you. to live for you. We're gonna the for you. We're gonna live for you. we to 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 Nga ba na nini izilwane na wongavatu nini nini.
6: bani bantu ngemimbezeno ngabonga ni ni takulandirani pa program mu Africa pa chinyanja service ya chano Africa tugulutsira muzinda wa Johannesburg ku South Africa tugumvega maiko a Mozambique Malawi Zimbabwe ndi Zambia